Hello, I'm your host, Ian Gibbs, and welcome to The Learnability Show. By now you should know that there are lots of different ways of learning, some of them more effective than others. Reading, writing, trial and error. But today, in the words of Monty Python, we're going to look at something completely different. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who is a trainer of LEGO Serious Play facilitators. But what is LEGO Serious Play? And why is it such a powerfully effective learning tool? And is it really possible that small pieces of brightly colored plastic can really help solve the world's problems? Well, to answer these questions, can we have a big round of applause for Pierre Christiansen? Welcome, Pear. Thank you. When I was a kid, I had a big box of Lego. It was one of my favourite toys. And when I found out that it's that actually people are employed as adults to play with Lego, I thought that must be an absolutely brilliant job. And you were actually in that situation for a time. Is that right? I work for Lego, and I still work with Lego bricks. So you now work on something which is called Lego Serious Play. Let's start off by talking about what is Lego Serious Play. And we have an hour. <laughs> we have an hour. That's probably the only question you're going to ask me in that hour, right? <laughs> okay. I'm going to go into a rabbit hole now, Ian, and you'll, you'll pull me up at some point. Right. Let's have a short introduction to Lego Serious Play. Good. So we like to say that it's a problem-solving and solution-creating method. Right? That's sort of the, the thing. Uh, and another way that, that maybe is worth sort of, um, of, of defining it, that's worth sharing, is it's actually the way that the owner of Lego spoke about it years ago. Because this is really born as an idea of his. This was uh, the, his, his third generation. He's, he's sort of now... You know, stepping a little back, and fourth generation is coming in. But Kelt, that's his name. Kelt has always, and I think the entire family, they've always seen the Lego brick as a language. Not as a toy, but as a language that children speak. And he always felt, uh, or so he said, and I do believe him, that it, it was a pity that this language wasn't spoken in boardrooms, that it wasn't spoken between leaders. So in some ways, what it really is, in these words, is that it's finally, it's a version of the language that adults can speak as well between them in a company setting. So he, he really saw it as a language he wanted to bring into boardrooms. And initially, it was his own leadership teams that he brought this language to. So it, it sort of clicked as that. It, it started as a way of solving a need that was inside the company. And then this, you know, Kelt's idea about the Lego brick being a language. So that's another way of putting it. Okay, that's nice and succinct. Could you give an example, a concrete example of how that actually works in reality? I like that you're already assuming that it works. Thank you very much for that. Uh, <laughs> no, but I can. So, so let's. What does it do? How? No. Uh, what? What? Defi- what's the engine? What's the processor inside this thing? It, it's a very simple four-step. We call it core process where someone, the facilitator, asks a question. So that's posing the question. And this is a little bit more tricky than it sounds, but let's say there's a question asked. And you tend to ask questions to which the other person doesn't know the answer. So people tend to go like, Oop, I, I don't know. I mean, how, how could I possibly know that? 
when you say ask a question, it's not like who won the World Cup in no, exactly. 1964. Thank you. No, no, because the point with that is that they may not know that, uh-huh, but this is the other side to the coin. They may not know that, but there is one right answer to that question. So excellent. Thank you. So the point is, A, you don't know it, and B, there is not one right answer. Right, the World Cup in 66, all depends on which country you ask, but there is a right answer. Someone won that final, right? Fairly or not, but they won it. So there is that. There's no right answer in, in the actual builder or the participant, the person asked, they go like, I don't know that. And that's the point, right? So then they built their answer. And this sounds daunting and weird and strange, but they're actually going to be building a model of their answer. It's a metaphorical model. So it doesn't look like anything, but it means something. So question, construction. Then they share their model. I'm going to show you a piece here, right? So they might have built you know, it's a tiny little model looking like this, right? So showing you this piece. I'm going to have to have to point out that this is just audio. Yes, that's we why don't record video. No, so no, you're no. gonna you're gonna have to describe what it is that you're holding in your hands to the listener. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use the actual model, but let's just let's try again. So so then they built this model. Right? So so I'm just gonna show you uh, here, and I, and I know people can't see this. This is I'm just showing a random Lego piece. But the point is that. Or, or Lego model. The point is that the, the, the one that's sharing the story is sharing all the stuff they've built. So they might have a window which is partially open and then maybe that means something. Maybe they have a green piece in the corner and that means something. So they've built a, a, a model that doesn't look like anything but means something. And then they all share it. And they all share it. So everybody gets to speak as well. Everybody gets to unlock what they didn't know they knew. So everybody builds first and then they share. That also means that we are not priming each other. Because if I say something before you have thought about what you want to say, whatever you say somehow is going to be related to what I said. But if we have all built our models, before we start sharing, we are not impacting each other. So we actually get this variety in answers first. Step four then, because step four could be, or is then that, once I have shared something, me, the participant, you, Ian, the other participant, might have a question to me about what I've built. Maybe you would be asking, is the window really open? Or does it mean anything that there is a minifigure on the other side? So we're also exploring each other's knowledge. So that, in its essence, is the core process. Then, when you're solving some sort of particular problem, I think that's where you, that's what you initially asked me, the facilitator has designed this entire process of step-by-step step going through questions that in the end leads to them building the solution, which could be like a new vision or what do we want our culture to be like? Or sometimes it's diagnosing what is our actual problem. Or it could be coaching. It could be Ian building who is Ian and who does Ian want to become in 12 months? Just to go through that then, the, the first part is to ask a question, the, the right sort of question. The second part is to build the model. Mm -hmm. The third part is to share what you've created. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth part was to... Sorry, I'm... I'm... That's also tricky. Um, the fourth part, we call it reflection, um, which is a difficult word, but we have, we have to label it something. So imagine this. I mean, we're sitting in this workshop, and, and I've shared, showing you a model here again, I, I've shared this model with you that I've built. And you've heard my story about it. Da, 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 da. Now, you, as my colleague, might 
want to ask me about what I've built, right? So when you're looking at, at this construction, which is a metaphor for my knowledge, sounds very academic right now, but you just, you, and then you ask me questions about it. So what I have in my hand right now is, is what looks like the bottom of a car with no wheels on it. So you might wonder, huh, does it mean anything that there are no wheels? So, so you're not asking me a question, you're asking a question to what I've built. So instead of challenging me, you are exploring the knowledge I've created. So we actually take a little bit of the interpersonal thing out and put it into the thing that we're talking about, into the topic, the third common or the boundary object or whichever term we like to use for this. So we start talking about the knowledge, not about the people. What sort of questions do you ask which produce the greatest returns? Could you give some, some examples? We have defining characteristics of a good Lego series play question, but I'm not certain that they will help so much now. So I probably need to go into my practice. So, so I'm a trainer of facilitators, but I also have my own clients. And when I work with them, I find that, you know, where it really, bear with me here, clicks, is when, when I've managed to articulate a question so that they build that pain point. If, if you're walking around and, and, and you think you have a stone in your shoe, but you can't find the stone, when you finally find it, you know, oh, that's fantastic, I got it out. So when they, when they get to build that one, and, it, and they were like, oh, I didn't know you know I knew that. And that's the thing. That is really nice. I also really like the moments when they do shared, what's called shared model building. They start with individual models, maybe they build a vision, uh, and then they make a shared model of that vision. When that vision and that shared model building comes together, that can take a, it's a long building period. When they get that one and they just they look at it and, and it means the same thing to all of them. And, and that can be down to the degree to which way the, the face of a little minifigure is turned. Is, is it a little bit sideways? Sometimes that means something. And it's just, and then it's just a, a commitment and a, sort of a synchronization almost of understanding. I really like those moments. I would like a, a, a concrete example, please. This is a few years ago. My first workshop with, with a client I've since done more work with, they are a, they are, were at least a startup company. Uh, they are now going to different rounds of funding uh, based in, in Ireland. And, and we were de- we were actually developing their business model uh, with the first the first little leadership team there were there were we were actually in the old uh, Guinness brewery they turned some of their oldest buildings into uh, meeting offices or meeting rooms it was a beautiful place and then so they were building this called inspired by the structurally inspired by the business model canvas so we were kind of building our way through that if you can imagine that. So they build their, the core competencies and the resources and the value proposition. They were building uh, customer segments. They, they, they build the, the core identity in terms of the resources and their activities. And they build the value proposition. And, and then, then there was this really nice moment when they were placing these, right? Because you place these models. And by placing these customer segments, it really became clear for them that they were they were focusing on the wrong customer segments, but almost for the right reason, in the sense that, yes, those segments were attractive in themselves, and they were also built attractive, but the way the market was and the way they placed these, it became clear for them 
that there were other more interesting segments because of their value proposition. So objectively speaking, they were not as interesting, but the way they were placed and the way I think competing propositions were placed, there were other segments that were much more valuable for them. So it's like they unlocked that insight and, and totally uh, and, and did a completely different did an iteration on the business model and changed the business model based on that. That was really fun. I really liked that moment. It was so cool. Yeah, there was that one. Randomly, you have another Irish moment. That was a, it was a civic trust uh, running a, a few different things in, 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 a, in a place in Ireland. And they were building a shared model of their uh, vision. And, and as they were doing that, they uh, showing you now another Lego piece, right? As they were doing that in that shared model, so, that, so they put in this relatively beautiful, transparent yellow brick. And, and they spoke about, you know, how there we have this compelling value proposition. And as they were sharing it, it, it just became clear that they had no clue what that value proposition was. But it was shiny and beautiful. So I had the opportunity as a facilitator to step in and say, guys, I don't think you know what this is. So let's take a step back. Then each of you are going to build exactly what is that value proposition? What is that value that you're placing out there? It dawned on them that they've been talking about this value proposition for years, having that beautiful value proposition out there. They'd never spoken about what it was. They all agreed they were going to have it, but they had no clue what it was. But the Lego break just made it so painfully obvious. So we took that step out, and it, it took about, I don't know, it probably took us 90 minutes extra, not planned. So we had to take out another part because we only had the two days. And But they came back to me and said, you know, afterwards, that was the best thing. That was the best part of the workshop. And the funny thing is, eight, nine months later, I was back. And one of the things that the Civic Trust ran was, was a little boutique hotel. That was part of the Civic Trust, right? And I was doing another workshop with a third Irish client, but they booked me into this boutique hotel. So I walk into the boutique hotel, and it just feels different. And I start looking around, and the whole experience was different. I was like, well, this feels, and it looked different, but it also felt different. And I checked in, and, and then I hadn't been there for about less than an hour. I hadn't probably not even completed my check-in. Then the manager came to me, and she was like, Pierre, Pierre, can you see? We have created the value proposition. And then it dawned on me. They had turned that thing into what I walked into. For me, that, that moment actually of walking into a physical version of the Lego metaphor was super cool. That was like, oh, okay. That was amazing. I really like that. I, and I like the, the, the voice, uh, her, her voice when she told me, can you see? We did it. We have created it. I'm like, you have? That was really cool. If this was a business podcast then i would take what you just said and i would take it in a certain direction but as it we're talking about learnability what i'm far more interested in doing is understanding how lego is used as a learning tool and why it's so good i actually don't think that we really know yet and i don't mean we as the practitioners i mean we as I don't think science entirely knows. I don't think science entirely understands how the brain works. So if I look back at the 20 years I've been involved in it, I think we have also started to realize more and more why it works, which is what makes us better and better as facilitators. And I think it's also important to say that it's, it's more than one thing. Now I'm going to try and answer your question, but I, I, I needed to raise this flag because I really don't think we know. So we typically say that building is thinking. That's really important. So here we are mixing together a lot of different answers into why that's the case. 
So there is something about how the brain seems to be working and possibly connected with the hands. Even as we're speaking now, sitting a couple of thousand kilometers away from each other and people can't see us, they will never see this podcast. I can't, you know, when I explain this, I can't help waving my hands around, right? So there's something there. We are a three-dimensional species. We like the world in 3D. So, tag time. When we touch things, there's a likelihood that more parts of our brains light up, that we engage more parts of our brains. When we start building it and we see what we are creating, we are, we are interacting with what we have created. So, so there's something about the tactile experience. There's something about the touching that lights up more parts of our brains so that it's likely that we make new connections in the brain. There's a possible answer. Part of the answer is there. The actual physical three-dimensional part of building, the tactile impressions. Then the brain cannot not think in metaphors. We're wired to think in metaphors. We understand the world in metaphors, right? We just do. So again, there's something about seeing and making the metaphors. I mean, there's a blue and yellow flag, which seems to be very much in the media these days, right? But it's, it's, but it's just two bricks, right? Um, so, so the metaphors helps me, the builder, find meanings, right? Metaphors are like, to use a metaphor, very much like a torch, right? It casts light on an element, helps us understand certain things about it. It also helps you understand what I'm saying, and it helps both of us remember what I'm saying because there's an emotional element. Emotions are tag, you know, tags for, for the neurology, for our memory. So, so there's a memory thing going on there as well. The fact that, in talking about memory here, the fact that you can see what I'm saying, we always say that in English and in Danish, I can't see what you're saying. I don't, really don't see your argument, but you do, right? You see what I'm saying because this is what I'm saying. I'm showing an echo model here, right? So th that again, there's something about the memory there. Then play. I really think that play matters. I think the fact that we are in play and play, you know, we seem to be this species, maybe with the dolphins, who are wired to play our entire lives, right? Um, play seems to do a lot of wonderful things for the brain as well, including releasing some of these neurotransmitters that makes the brain brain malleable and flexible in the process. So lots of different things are coming together here. Attention is, is stronger when both because of the play, because of the movement, because of the eyes. And without attention, there are no insights. Without attention, there are no memories. So it's all of these things, and that's probably much, much more we don't know yet, but it's all of these things coming together. Although you say that you're not sure, I totally support what you say. In my experience, people think that they understand abstract concepts, but they don't. I work with a, a couple of people, and for instance, there's, there's one fella, and he, he talks a lot, and he's an academic. He uses lots of long words and lots of long sentences, and after he's given his 10 minutes of explanation, you have to sit back and say, I'm sorry, but I have no idea what you're talking about. What was the middle part? As they say in Fish Called Wanda. What was the middle part? <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 fact that Lego is such a concrete visual, easy to remember, easy to understand, it just ticks all the boxes. And the bright colors, the fact that it's fun, it's open, you can be creative, there's no rules, you can do what you want, means that people, I think, are more open to the idea. I mean, this is for me, but... Maybe you've had other experiences, but if somebody puts a load of Lego bricks in front of me, 
I'm immediately on it. I'm fiddling about, putting them together, you know, doing stuff. I, I just can't leave them alone. But that's you. I have to say that. That's one of the things we learned, right? While that is true for some, there is also a good group of people who respond slightly differently for different reasons. Some haven't played with Lego bricks ever. And some, like me, have been unfortunate enough to go to business school where they've learned that playing is for children and frivolous and you need to get that out of your system. And, and some people are terrified of failing. And some people have been told their entire lives or told themselves their entire lives that they are not creative. This is what we also sometimes call the I cannot draw syndrome. So they think that they think this will never work for them. It's good for other people. It's never going to work for me. So we actually would always start a workshop with new participants with a dedicated set of exercises where people realize that they can. It really doesn't matter whether you never play with Lego bricks. In reality, they are sometimes some of the best. It doesn't matter. Uh, whether you have one hand or even if you're visually impaired, it does not matter. Um, people don't know this, and obviously, they don't. how could they know this? And we actually don't tell them that they can. We do these exercises so that it becomes clear that they can. And also to establish this thing that they cannot be wrong. You are here because you're smart. It doesn't mean that you and I have the same answer, but we both have valuable answers. So we spent about 45 to 60 minutes on that. Um, and interestingly, it, it's actually something that some clients, far from all, but some go like, why are you wasting our time on that? And I was like, we're not. That is the thing that makes the other part successful. Because that's when you're quiet persons, you're introverted. And maybe that, that fantastic guy you mentioned before, he, he's, he's probably a brilliant person, right? But I will also assume that lots of the brilliant stuff he's saying is never heard. But if that person sat down and built this in Lego bricks, it would make it easier for you guys to hear him or her. And it would probably also help the person make sense of their thinking before they shared it. It would also mean that if there was a part you didn't hear, now I'm, I'm going to point to the window in my model here. If you didn't hear what the window meant, you could ask John or Jane, the, the window, what was that again? So you can actually see what you didn't hear. So it does these uh, relatively nice things as well in the communication. We're about halfway through the show now, and I'd love to talk more about this business of people's attitudes to play and failure, failure, uh, and, and the meaning of that word. But before we do that, we're, we're going to go to the learnability quiz. Ooh. Three questions on the subject of the theme of the show. So if I get this right, we, do, we record the next 30 minutes as well. That's right. Is that how it works? That's right. That's right. You get a big round of applause, yes. And you, you, you get, yeah, I've got some confetti here that we'll throw around Aww. as well. Okay? Right. Anyway, so I, I was doing a little bit of research on, on Lego, and I've discovered three things that I didn't know, that the whole point of this show is to learn stuff. So I've learned three things about Lego. And I'm just interested to see if you, as an expert on Lego, actually know these yourselves. Here we go. Question number one, then. Right. Yeah. So th something I did not know is where does the name Lego come from? Ah, that is the, um, it, it stands for Playwell. Initially, the Lego company you know, is, is founded by a carpenter and they made wooden toys, uh, 30s Denmark crisis, and they were called the Billen Toy Factory something, something. 
not exactly easy to say and very long. So they decided to um, to make a, a competition of what to call the company. So they wrote they all wrote these little names and put it into a box or something. And then would the winner would get two bottles of cherry wine. And and Lego, short for play play well in Danish, as the name one, and it was actually suggested by the owner at the time. Exactly, you get ten ten out of ten for that. Well done. Yay. How how it's how finished. do you say play well in Danish then? Light, light, L-E-G, light, gut, G-O-D-T. Gut, light gut. Light, light gut. Yeah. Okay, I'm sure that's you. You take the two first two letters of each one. And you get Lego. Fantastic. Okay. It'll be downhill from here, right? Guys, uh, question number two. My kids, when they were little, they actually had Duplo to start with. And Duplo and Lego are made by the same company. What I didn't appreciate, although there is the obvious similarity between Duplo and Lego, there is actually a mathematical relationship do you know what that mathematical relationship is? I know that I knew. Can, can I can I do like any good politician do and sort of diverge a little bit? Because Lego is the company. You're talking about the Lego system brick. Ah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, trying to buy time here. Oh, fuck. I, and I have a system brick right here. If I had a Duplo brick, I could sort of sit under here and, and sort of... Uh, I know it takes two system bricks to be the height of a Duplo. I know that. Does that mean it's one two two or one two eight? Oh, I don't know. That I know. Two system breaks, I think, equals the height of a duplo. What does that mean? <laughs> one to four. I'm gonna say one to four. Okay. I think your idea is correct. Your maths is off. Because if it's double the height and double the length and double the width Then it's one to what? Then it's one to eight. Ah, it's the pressure that kills me. It is, isn't it? It's the stress. The relation. I didn't realize this, but Duplo bricks are eight times the size of the original Lego brick, and because of this, you can actually clip them together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we do that in the. Ah, in the, in, oh, you didn't. Yeah, and I, I never realized. I never realized. I just thought they were just two separate sets. Ah, but they all, they all fit. They all fit. They all fit. They, they've got in the basement, in the basement over in Billund, they've got these real rear gigs that make certain that everything fits. I mean, everything fits. It, no, it's one to eight, of course. Uh, all right, this, this is the pressure. I want to take my excuse that I once heard a radio quiz. It, it was circulating on the internet where someone could win sort of a big prize. And the final question, the final, final challenge for them was to spell the name of the following band, ACDC. And they couldn't spell ACDC, which is ACDC. <laughs> so the presser can do anything to a man. <laughs> okay. It was about 10 uh, years ago. Sorry. So anyway, you, we, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. As a maths t- and ex-maths teacher, I would give you half marks for your logic because you were heading in the right direction. Yes. So it's not just getting the right answer. It's the, it's the process that's important. I was. I was. Couldn't do the math. Right. Final question then. My kids, I'm afraid they're getting into the stage where now where screens are more important than actually than toys. But they still occasionally play with Lego. And we get them various kits. 
But these kits, as I'm sure our listener already knows, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Now, up until I don't know when, I always thought that the biggest kit that you could buy that was in the Guinness Book of Records used to be the Taj Mahal, which had thousands of pieces. But that was in the old days. Now, Lego produce kits which are much bigger than the Taj Mahal. But do you know which is the largest Lego kit that you can buy? And approximately how many pieces are in it? Can we turn it into the largest kit I can afford? <laughs> or is that a different question? No, that's a different question. The large, I'm not sure if you do need to take out a mortgage to buy this, but it's on the Lego website. Take a shoot from here. I'm going to say the Death Star. The Death Star. Mm. That's like a nope. <laughs> Not unless it's the information that I have is out of date. No, no, no. I, I don't think it is. I should have just I should have stalled you while I was searching the internet here. That's what that's what any decent person would have done. According to the information that I have, uh, there are several kits which are now bigger than the Taj Mahal. Uh, you've got the Titanic, for instance. You've got the Star Wars Millennium Falcon, but the largest kit is actually the art world map. It's a map of the world, and it has a record 11,695 pieces to it. Um, I'm not quite sure how much it costs. I don't know if it gets delivered on the back of a lorry when they bring it in, but it is a phenomenally large project. Fair enough. So I'm afraid no points for that one. Anyway, three things that possibly a listener didn't know about Lego. Right now, let's go back then to play and and failure. Very much apropos me failing <laughs> two out of three questions. <laughs> it's not. It's not failure. It's learning. No, it's, just... it's like the whole point. The whole point of the learning so process. So I in learning. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you. Uh, the whole point of the learning process is to stretch yourself to do things that you couldn't do before. Mm -hmm. And by definition of that, just like a juggler would drop their balls when they try to start to learn juggling, or somebody who starts to learn golf will find it very difficult to hit the ball more than a, a few, a few metres, then... Whenever we try to start learning to do something, it's natural, healthy, and not in the slightest bit embarrassing to fail and make a mess of it. How do people see that they're failing and, and what are their reactions to that? So there is, there is the, the fear of failing with the Lego brick. There is the fear of failing in terms of having the right answer. Right answer. I say this in, in inverted commas, right? Because there is no right answer. But in most cultures, educational systems, whatever, we very quickly get accustomed to the fact that when somebody asks you a question, there is a right answer. And, and we need to get that out. So let's see if I can conserve a little bit around those two things. Fear of failing with a Lego brick, typically dressed up as this is beneath me. Most people think this is beneath them. 
they're really in reality is just afraid of taking two Lego pieces and not being able to make them stick. I'm saying showing this as I speak. Um, which, which is fair, right? If it took you 15 years to become the CFO, and we all know how fragile such positions can be, if failing building with toys would be a disaster, right? Where would all the respect go, right? So it's a totally valid fear. When they realize it's not about building anything that looks like anything, when they realize, I'm going to show some bricks here that are technically speaking upside down, when they realize, you know, you can build like this, it doesn't matter, then that fear really quickly goes away. Now, again, the facilitator or we can't tell them this. They have to experience this. So again, that's where the opening goes away. So people are like, oh, I can build it like a brick. And it really doesn't matter. If I say this, I'm showing a red brick, is round and blue because that's, that's the meaning I've given to it. Well, basically, that's what it is. So, so when they have that safety, they really build. And I can tell you this, that after 30 minutes, if an outsider came into a shared play workshop, they would not be able to see which of these participants have never played with Lego bricks before. And I'm not even kidding. So that's, that's pretty, that, that's, that's one thing, right? Now, let's go back to the other failure, the fear of failure. This notion of, uh, you know, what if I don't know the answer? Or what if my answer is wrong? Uh, your 1966 World Cup is a great example because I could get that answer wrong. When they start experiencing that the questions we are asking are of a kind where they can't be wrong, then they grow in safety. When they start experiencing that they will never, or their answer will never be interpreted, and that's an important word, interpreted by others, then they start feeling safer. When they start that they will never be challenged as a person, they start feeling safer. That doesn't mean that people will agree with you. It doesn't mean that they might not challenge your answer, but it's never you. Then they start opening up. Some of the people that fear that they don't know the right answer, part of that fear is just speaking or being belittled by others. And when they realize that when they speak, no one else speaks, that space is theirs. But when they realize that they don't have to have eye contact with anyone, because what they're sharing, and I'm showing a Lego model again, what they're sharing is this. So they can have their eyes right here. So I might be shy. I be, might be the new one on the team. I might not speak Spanish, Catalan, German, or Austrian, but it doesn't matter because I have the time that it takes. That, that gives that safety as well. And the, these people, the new ones, the quiet ones, they often are the ones that have that missing piece. And when they get a voice, these are the ones who in the old days called the lonely guy. When their voice is heard, that's sometimes where everything shifts. One of the things that I think is maybe of more general interest to our listener who maybe doesn't work in a big company or have the, the power to influence how they're trained, but uh, I know that a, a lot of my listeners are involved in education, they're teachers, they're adult students, or they have kids. Do you know if Lego is really just being developed as a business learning tool or are there other educational parts of the lego organization lego i mean i'm not as close to lego as, as i have been obviously but lego does do a lot in the educational sector i think they, they have their educational division you know where robert my 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 good colleague came from before 
at the Lego Educational Division, where they work uh, with schools and educational systems. So that's there. It's been there, I think, for years and years and years. And it was called Lego Dacta in the old days. I don't know enough of what they're doing, but I know they're there. And my impression is that they do some fantastic stuff. Lego Series Play as a method was developed for, let's call it companies and adults. It attracts people from all sorts of organizations or areas is a better word, maybe. Um, so it is, excuse me. So it, it, it's used across age groups now. It's used in commercial organizations. It's used in refugee camps. It's used with, um, with prisoners, I know, in, in prison systems. It trafficked girls in Vietnam. It, it's used in, in schools. It, it's used, I mean, across the spectrum. Where facilitators, I'm going to just call them all facilitators, have learned how to do this. And they've learned the components of this language, the, the series play method. And then they bring it into their context. It's used, I know some really cool projects with especially gifted children in many areas of the world. Especially gifted children, and, and also you say sometime overlapping with this notion of neurodiversity. Uh, these children, adolescents, or even adults are often, you know, caught in a difficult place. So now it's used all of these places. Um, and the good thing, and this is maybe worth bringing in here, is that you know the Lego bricks that you use for you can reuse them. I know some UN projects uh, they brought it to some some islands uh, somewhere in the Pacific. Uh, to to tribes that had never seen Lego bricks, I kid you not. Not like they didn't know they existed, and they and they did serious play. Yeah. It, it was one of the things that I discovered when I was doing some re the the research was that the original mathematical specification for the Lego bricks in the nineteen forties, whenever they were they were they were established, uh still the ones that are used today the the, the first lego bricks would still fit together with the lego bricks that are being produced now and they probably would literally as well in terms of that the quality of the molding is so high i mean not only mathematically would they fit they probably would fit if you found them one very very final question if you had one message one key point to help people get the most out of learning with lego if they were going to attend one of your workshops or whatever what piece of advice would you give them also but that was two questions all right well pick pick one of them <laughs> if they wanted to get the most out of learning with lego i think that's, that was the first question right start building start building start building because that's the same as start thinking I and mean, he was just just start building if you want to try something if you want to figure out what you mean with something, start building. And one thing will lead to another, as as Picasso said. But, but this is the beautiful thing about our brains, right? Um, start building. This is, I'm, I'm sorry, I need to say one more thing. So I run, right? I, I go running. Um, and I have, and I'm, if you, any of you listeners are out there are running with headsets on and listening to music, I don't get it. Because the thing is, when we do these kind of things, most of us, I don't know about everybody, but we don't allow that just random thinking process with associations going on in our brains, and that's what I, that's that's also sorry that's also what we do when we just start building. Sometimes just 
go for a run, go for a walk, start building. Just allow that voice to take you places. Do the weird associations. Find the quirky corners of your brain. Make connections in your head and just, oh, okay. So start building. If people wanted to get hold of you or wanted to find more information, where would you recommend they go? So uh, LinkedIn, I think it's, it's actually relatively easy. I mean, Per Christensen is not a rare name. So it's a very common name. But I'm there. Uh, my profile is a drawing of me. Um, so that's how they recognize me. It's not a little Lego model photo then? No, no. <laughs> and that's actually a little bit on purpose because I don't want to... Uh, the leg, the break is a means, but anyway, we're gonna have another long one-hour conversation about that. But LinkedIn is good. Um, finding me there, maybe referencing to this uh, podcast, um, that would be nice actually, because I have a few people coming to me through LinkedIn. Then uh, our website, Trivium, T-R-I-V-I-U-M dot international. That's an easy way to find me and my email as well. Um, if you're curious about series play. We have a, a, the, the, the association that I co-founded with Robert Rasmussen. It's called, uh, we have a website called seriousplay.training. So this is like a non-commercial information website about the method. Bear, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I will be doing a training course on Lego because I, I have to put my money where my mouth is. And so I, I'm looking forward to that very much. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Take care.